Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The second Sunday in Lent, Matthew fifteen twenty one to 28. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Greetings in our Savior, dearly beloved hearers. Job said, Has not man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Christ said to his disciples, Strive to enter through the narrow door. Paul added, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We see that struggling, striving, striving lawfully, that is, striving victoriously, are necessary for the true Christian. Many suppose that when a person is converted, he can take it easy, like someone who has finally arrived in a safe harbor after a stormy voyage. The danger of being lost has passed. His soul is forever safe and need never fear shipwreck. This, however, is an extremely dangerous deception. When a person is finally converted, it is then that the battle really begins. When Christ says, strive to enter through the narrow door, he means with not only the first repentance, but with the whole Christian life until death. All this taken together is the narrow way that leads to life. If a person is converted... He is not all spirit, but still has a good share of flesh. Of course, he is no longer of the world, yet he is in the world. He is no longer under the authority of darkness. However, he still lives where Satan, the prince of darkness, rules and goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. A converted person is therefore continually attacked by the flesh, the world, and the devil. If he does not continually fight against them, He will fall under their control before he expects it, and his faith and salvation are as good as lost. If one does not struggle for his Christianity, he suffers continually defeat. After conversion, the germ of sin does not remain only in a few, but in all human hearts. He who does not believe this, because he has not experienced it, proves by his life that he has not yet become spiritually alive, or that he has fallen back into spiritual death. But if one feels how he is daily enticed to all manner of sin in thoughts, desires, words, and deeds, and yet does not struggle against them, considering these enticements as insignificant, he also is without the living, saving faith. At times, even a Christian deals unjustly with his neighbor, injures, vexes, and lovelessly judges him. 
At times, even a Christian permits himself to be misled to speculate, yes, even defraud his neighbor in a business deal and swerve from the strict truth. At times, even in a Christian, anger, hatred, jealousy, envy, or malicious joy fills his heart. For Scripture says we fail in many ways. However, when a true Christian has failed, it is as if he had a sliver that continually pained him. He cannot rest until he has removed this sliver from his conscience by true repentance. Every false step awakens him to an inner struggle. If his attention is called to his sins by a fellow Christian, he does not show a hardened attitude. He soon breaks down, admits his sins, and becomes only the more humble and watchful. On the other hand, if one falls into sin and it does not disturb him or awakens an inner battle within him, if he does not let himself be reprimanded, flies into a passion when he is reprimanded, and wants to have good done to him, he certainly is no Christian. His supposed faith is dead. It is not active through love. His heart is not cleansed from dead works, hence no faith. Ah, my friends, let us not deceive ourselves with a Christianity without a continual battle. However, through the struggle with the flesh, the world, and the devil, and though it is difficult, there is a struggle that is even more difficult, a battle in which the Christian can never stand, yet into which all Christians are at times more or less led. This is the struggle with God himself. Our gospel reading for today deals with this amazing struggle. Let us therefore today become acquainted with it. Matthew fifteen twenty one to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. A week ago in the Gospel of Invocavit Sunday, Christ was presented to us as our example in the battle with Satan. In our Gospel reading today, another struggle, the victorious struggle with Christ, with God himself, is presented in the Canaanite woman. The subject of our consideration today is the victorious battle of Christians with God. We consider how God battles with them and how they battle with God and conquer him. We pray, Lord, how wonderfully you associate with your own. You struggle with them not to conquer them, but to be conquered. You alone are the one who gives them power to conquer. You will crown them. Oh, teach us today from your word how to struggle with you and conquer, that you can also someday gloriously crown and lead us into your eternal kingdom. Hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ, your dear Son and the Lord of our salvation. Amen.
God had chosen to entrust his saving word to the Jewish nation. Yet we dare not think that God had done this because he did not want to have mercy on the heathen. Far be it. God chose the Jews for the very purpose of preserving his word for the whole world. That is why God also had his people live at the crossroads of the world, why he brought them into contact with so many nations. The Jews should be, as it were, the candlesticks for the light of all nations. For that reason, there were true believers not only among the Jews, but also among the heathen. They were not circumcised and received by the Jews, but they believed the promise of the prophets and were saved by this faith. The Canaanite woman in our gospel reading today was such a heathen. She had come to faith in the teachings of the prophets, faith in the promised Savior of the world, and this faith had become so active in her that when she heard of Jesus Christ's words and deeds in the land of the Jews, she firmly believed that this Jesus must be the promised Messiah. Although living in the midst of idolatrous, wicked heathen, she guarded the treasure of her faith against all the mockery and derision that she undoubtedly suffered from her heathen fellows. Now, shouldn't one suppose that God would have treated this woman, a pearl in the midst of that heathen filth, quite tenderly? Of course. But what do we hear? Now that she had come to faith, a heavy cross was laid upon her. Her daughter was possessed and grievously tormented by a devil. What sort of trouble that was, only those know who have experienced it. In comparison with such a cross, everything else is insignificant. It is heart-rending for parents to see their dear child distressed and tormented by Satan day and night. The home is empty of all joy. A house of continual sorrow, fright, tears, and sighs. Then add to it that as a rule, not only the godless, blind world views such a family with malicious joy, but that even inexperienced Christians often pass evil judgment upon those who are so fearfully afflicted. We hear still more, however. When her trouble reaches the highest point, Christ came into the region. When she heard that, it seemed as if a bright star of hope and deliverance had risen in her hour of trial the firm confidence that Jesus, who had hitherto helped all to suffering, would help her too. She sought him out. And the moment she found him, she cried out loudly after him, even from a distance, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But what did Christ do? Without bothering so much as to look around, he went on, and we read, He did not answer her a word. This was something completely unusual. On other occasions, Christ not only stopped immediately when a cry for help reached his ears, but he also had questioned them as to what they wanted him to do. Now, however, he remained silent, as though he did not hear, despite the fact that the woman did not lessening her heart-rending cries. This was so odd, even to the disciples, that they came to Jesus and asked him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. They wanted to say, Lord, do you not hear how this poor woman beseeches you? Will our heart almost break, but yours remain cold? Grant her request and permit her to live comforted. Yet what does Christ do now? He finally does say something, but only the hard words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Thereupon the disciples likewise became silent. When, however, the woman did not depart, but rather merely stammered the words, Lord, help me, Christ finally did turn to her. But with the crushing words, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Thus, he not only flatly refused the prayer of the woman, but also did it in such words that, instead of grace, expressed nothing but wrath. Instead of esteem, the deepest contempt. Here, my friends, you have a good example of how God at times struggles with his dear Christians. And we certainly see that in general. God's struggles with his beloved Christians consists in his treating them as if they were not his dear children, but people about whom he is not concerned. Yes, as if he were their enemy rather than their friend. The first kind of struggle that God wages against Christians is, as we see from the Canaanite woman, usually temporal distress. If not always bodily torment by Satan, then at least it is other bodily misery, be it one's own sickness, the sickness and death of a loved one, poverty, loss of one's good name, the revelation of the faithlessness and falseness of friends whom one trusted, and all manner of other sorrow and misfortune. Far be it that God should keep those miraculously who are converted. It happens very often that as soon as a person leaves the world and becomes a true Christian, nothing prospers, everything fails. It appears as if God were against him in everything and were his enemy from the time that he became a Christian. God's word says expressly, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14. And again, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3. Such bodily afflictions, however, are the easiest struggles that God wages with his Christians. In the Canaanite woman, we see there is still another, a more difficult struggle. God often does not answer the prayers of a Christian in trouble. He is silent. The distress not only continues, but becomes the greater, the more earnestly the Christian prays. The children of the world are often quickly freed from their trouble. They murmur against God, rage and curse, while the Christians who in their misfortune take refuge in God often sink only deeper and deeper. And at times God is not satisfied even with this. Christ at first not only said nothing to the woman's cry for help, but when he finally spoke, uttered only angry words. He said, when the disciples interceded, that he was not sent to the heathen. Yes, compared the woman to a dog to whom the bread of the children did not belong. Christians often experience the same thing. Severe temptations of the soul often accompany the cross. God takes away all feeling of comfort. Their heart condemns them and says that they are sinners of whom God wants to know nothing. They are not elect, but rejected. They do not belong to the children of the kingdom, but to dogs of whom it is written that they are outside. Thus, God often battles, as he did, for example, with Job and David. Job complains, chapter 30, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. And David complains in Psalm 88, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes to you. 
O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Whereas the godly suppose that they sit in God's lap, whereas they stand as firmly as a palace and are scarcely frightened of hell, God, on the other hand, often acts toward one of his real children as if he had rejected them. You see, this is the way in which God struggles with Christians. Let us in the second place hear how Christians should be the victor when God struggles with them. A matchless example is the Canaanite woman in our text. The first thing she did in her difficulty is that when Christ came into the vicinity, she sought him out, imploring him with the words, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Since we are not informed that she did something before in order to be freed of her trouble, we can conclude that she bore this in humility and patience as well-deserved wholesome cross, and waited for the help of the Lord without complaint. But when her hope rose when Christ came into her region, she prayed for the removal of her almost unbearable cross. On what did she base her petition? She said, Have mercy on me. She did not base her prayer to be heard on the claim that she deserved it because of her faithfulness in the midst of the heathen, but only on Christ's mercy. When she called Christ Lord, she meant to say, I know you can help me. And when she says to him, Son of David, she means to say, I know that you will help me also, for you are the Savior and Redeemer promised by the prophets. And what did she do? When at first Christ not only remained silent when the disciples interceded, but even with a forbidding attitude stated, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and apparently wanted her to understand that she did not belong to the elect. The woman did not admit defeat. She simply fell down before Christ and said, Lord, help me. She means to say, I will not search into or dispute concerning God's secret eternal counsel, whether I am elect or not. It appears as if I do not belong to the elect. But what do I care about appearances? I cling to the word, which offers grace to all sinners without exception. What, however, did she finally do when Christ assailed her even more fiercely and angrily said to her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? She did two things. First, she acknowledged the truth of Christ's words. Second, she availed herself of Christ's own words. She says, yes, Lord. She means to say, you are right. By nature, I am a heathen. I am like a dog that can lay no claims to the right of a child. But at the same time, she takes Christ at his own words and adds, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She intends to say, you have not called me a child of the devil, but a dog. So at least you mean to grant what one gives a dog, a little crumb of your grace, which falls from the table of children. And behold, Christ was taken at his own words. He was conquered. Therefore he cries out, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. 
and her daughter was healed instantly. There, my friends, you see in this example how Christians can be victorious over God himself. The art of their warfare is very simple. One, patience and humility. Two, ardent and unceasing prayer. Three, and finally, and this is their chief weapon, a faith that holds firm in God's word despite their experience and the feelings of their heart. If God wrestles with the Christian through affliction, poverty, sickness, death of a loved one, disgrace, or other misfortune, they do not think as do the children of the world and false Christians. What have I done to deserve this? Why must I experience evil while others who are more wicked than I are happy? Much less, do Christians try to help themselves in the wrong way? No. First, they patiently carry their cross and think that it could be far worse. Yes, they deserve hell. After that, they pray without ceasing. Above all, they take their refuge in God's word and rely on what is written. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Revelation 3. For those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8. Should God assail Christians with severe temptations of the soul? Should he not permit them to find comfort? Should he permit them to feel nothing but darkness, sin, wrath, death, and hell? If they think that they are pushed away from God's presence and cast away from eternity, they do not stop praying even then. And if things seem to become worse instead of better, they do not give up praying. Above all, they seize the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, and the shield of faith. They own that God is right and say, I have deserved that he reject me completely. However, at the same time, cling to God's universal promises. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 5. And see, the temptation in the one case lasts a much shorter time, in another a longer time, but finally they conquer God. The temptation is taken away from them, and the light of grace and joy once more shines brightly. God gladly lets himself be conquered. He does not struggle against Christians in order to conquer, but to be conquered by them. Hence, I ask you, if you have already experienced something of this struggle with God, have you at times, like this Canaanite woman imploring, sighing, and crying, wrestled with God in the stillness of your chamber? Whoever experienced nothing of this has a bad sign, for God lets every true Christian taste this. An unmolested faith is certainly a dead, empty faith. If you can tell of some struggle with God, I ask you, have you also passed through this struggle victoriously? Alas, many Christians... But as soon as they become Christian and temptation comes, they fall like wormy fruit. If God sends them poverty, they do not bear it in patience with prayer and faith, but they become only the more zealous to seek ways, so to say, of becoming rich despite God. And so, instead of being exercised in faith by the temptation, they suffer shipwreck of their faith. Others from whom God takes the sweet feeling of grace, 
lose their Christian faith instead of learning to cling all the more to God's word. They again surrender to the world. Oh, my friends, do not deceive yourselves in regard to your salvation. Do not think that because Christianity preaches a pure grace, it is a restful and comfortable life. Learn rather that it is a continual struggle, a struggle not only with the flesh, the world, and the devil, but with God himself. Whoever does not engage in this struggle every day, but wishes to make the gospel of grace a comfortable pillow, his entire Christianity, with all his Christian air and talk, is nothing but an empty pretense. It is a frightening word that Christ says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Luke 13. If many of those will not enter the kingdom of God who actually seek it, what will happen to those who do not want to strive for it at all? You, you Israels, who with Jacob daily struggle with God and on your knees before him say to him, I will not let go unless you bless me. Genesis 32. Oh, and do not only remain in your spiritual knighthood. Consider that the times will become ever more evil, the attacks ever more fearful, the temptations ever more deceiving and dangerous. Therefore, become ever more brave and daring. Do not let the sweet, enticing Delilah of this world rock you to sleep, but struggle ever more earnestly. You will not regret it. Many victorious battles mean much blessed peace. When sometime you will leave the battlefield of this world as victor, you will hear the blessed voice, you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. And now may the grace and peace of God be with you today and forever. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri cph.org. We thank you for tuning in and we pray that God's word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.